to tell you a little known fact, and that fact is that I invented Facebook. True story, you wanna know how? Okay, well first, let me preface this by saying I didn't actually invent Facebook, as in the site that millions upon millions of people use every day. So allow me to clarify then what I mean when I say I invented Facebook. And it all goes back to maybe around eight years old. I saw a movie called Brain Man with Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise. It's a great movie, but it left a mark on me for one particular reason, actually. At that point, I was watching a lot of films, but um, I really loved Dustin Hoffman's performance, and it was a really endearing movie. But there was something in the credits that I really kind of, it awakened something in me that um, would then become a thread in the rest of everything I've done or do. At the end credits, you see this kind of collage of the photos that Dustin Hoffman had taken throughout the film. So the eagle-eyed viewer would notice that Dustin Hoffman's character carried a camera with him wherever they went, and at odd moments would snatch a photo and capture that moment. That action and that motivation it never really fleshed itself out in the actual movie until over the end credits, we see all these moments that he captured and all these little snippets of his view. And they weren't all picturesque in the sense that he got people to pose or that he orchestrated anything to happen. It was that at that certain moment, he took a picture, he wanted to freeze frame that moment in time at that place and have it as some kind of souvenir for later. At least that's how I interpreted it. So I'm gonna come back to this, but right now I wanna say that at whatever that was, eight years old, nine years old, upon seeing that, that had a big effect on me. But you'll also notice that at that time I was also looking at films in a very different way. I had been a very avid, avid moviegoer, movie watcher, movie consumer, in addition to all the other amazing multimedia things available at that time. From video games to cartoons, everything. The 80s were such an amazing time, and of course, in kind of calling out how old I am, a lot of people might not relate and say, yeah, of course, you're gonna talk up your childhood because that was such a magical and special era. Of course it was, and a lot of people would say the same thing about their own childhood. Though I think there's something very special to say about the 80s in that as a child of the 80s, I have discovered recently that I fall into a very, very specific category or generation, if you will, that today has fractured into a very clear division of a personality type and a lifestyle type. Let me explain what I mean. So up until around 1979 or 80, they would call that generation Generation X. And the generation to follow that was up until very recently referred to as a kind of millennial generation, um, which I didn't quite understand because I didn't seem to relate to what people were describing as millennial. It wasn't until recently when a newer categorization came out called Zillennial, which I guess is a combination of X and millennial, but it found a specific spot for people of my generation. I was born in 1980. So between 1979 to 1983, I believe, which is a very odd number of years and very small generation. However, the mere fact that it's been given its own generational category 
speaks to how important that differentiation is from the previous generation and the generation that followed. So Generation X and Millennial. We sit in between those generations for good reason. We had very, very different experiences and modes of operation during the 80s and 90s than the other two generations. And so why are we so special? I never particularly bought into the idea of generations, although there is something to say about every era. And in particular, this Zillennial generation is categorized because of the fact that we had an analog childhood and a digital adulthood. We knew what it was like to grow up without the internet. We also came of age when the internet came about and became popular. And so growing into adulthood, we transitioned and we adapted. But we understand both and we can really appreciate both worlds. Whereas the other two generations are clearly different in their experiences with these things. So here I was, eight years old, and just having the time of my life. Playing outside, watching movies, watching cartoons, and really my, my life was dominated by media because of all of these influential things. I can't even begin to kind of encompass everything of what the 80s meant, but of course, even popular references today in so many movies and TV and the internet to an extent, all cash in on the nostalgia of the 80s. But for me, my childhood was dominated by the feel and the tone of things like Goonies, The Monster Squad, He-Man, MTV, Thundercats. I mean, I, I can go on and on. There was so much out there, so much inspiration, so much to inspire and motivate and entertain. And we did it all with seemingly so much innocence that it didn't, it didn't seem bad in the way that we look at maybe an oversaturation or inundation of media and things like that today. When I was around 13, I got my first computer. And this was the start of this new road. It's 1993. And in the early 90s, of course, computers have been around. But clearly, they're not as prevalent or as dominant as they are today. They were, in fact, a very kind of specialty thing that you only had a computer if you really understood how to use a computer at the time. There wasn't the user friendliness of operating systems like Windows quite yet. Windows was still around 3.1, it's an infancy, and Windows 95 really hadn't broken through. And of course, Macs were Macs, and they didn't have the pull or foothold on the computer industry that they have today. It's the 90s now. Technology is still on this rise but we're still on the tail end of that analog world. I'm still playing regular Nintendo and Game Boy. It's all still very, very real. And this whole notion of the false digital world didn't quite exist yet. But then when I discovered computers, I was, I was very interested and I wanted to learn more about it because of course in film and TV, you see computers depicted as this amazing tool and even the source of power if you know how to use it. In any case, I was just very curious and being technical minded myself, I wanted to have an opportunity to learn. It was when I turned 14 the following year that I discovered this thing called 
America Online, and I was fascinated by the fact that you could use the computer to communicate with other people. This was a foreign idea to me, because I thought direct communication came in person or on the phone. And the fact that I could look at a screen and look, there's all these people that I'm actually communicating with, that was bizarre, especially at age 14. And as a freshman in high school, kind of discovering all these different things about your place socially and kind of the things you're going through at that stage in your educational career, the computer became a form of escape that differed from movies and TV the way I had experienced it to that point. By age 15, the following year, I was neck deep in this and I had launched myself into it to the point where I had been consuming so much time on a dial-up connection in my house that my parents could never use the phone and had to get me my own phone line. Actually a good excuse for me to get my own phone line, but I didn't suggest it. It was because if you're of my generation, you understand the frustration of someone picking up the phone while you're online and completely ruining your entire world for that moment. In any case, in 1995, it still wasn't a thing yet. And yet I felt I had this secret doorway to the rest of the world and to all these people that I accessed from the privacy of my own room. And to me, that was fascinating. It was a whole different world and it was interactive and I was learning constantly. By the next year at age 16, of course, I'm still doing things in the physical world. I'm not holed up in my room, not seeing sunlight. I'm doing all the things that I've done my whole life and I'm working and I'm going out with friends and doing everything. But as a hobby, in addition to playing and writing music and playing in bands and obsessing about basketball and Michael Jordan, I had this other thing now, which was the computer and the internet. And so by 16, I'm dabbling in everything from doing my own websites and learning how to script and write code to recording music on the computer and sharing it online. It was an entirely new facet of my personality that I could then explore in addition to all the other things that I'd been developing my whole life. So by the end of the 90s and at the end of high school and the entrance to college, here I am finding myself as a pre-computer science major and really trying to go down this path of pursuing technology somehow. It was at this time where, okay, everyone is getting online now and everyone is tuning into this thing called the internet. And so instant messaging and all these things were the norm. And quite frankly, you were pretty cool if you knew how to use them versus those who avoided them because it seemed so intimidating or they didn't know how technically to approach these things. So there was a certain level of confidence that you gained in knowing that, yeah, I'm pretty, pretty well versed in this world that some people haven't even experienced yet and to see how fun it was. It was a new playground to explore and play in. There was a lot of unknown and there was still a lot to learn. It was around this time, sometime in college, probably around 1999 before the new millennium, that I thought back to that movie Rain Man and I thought back to that idea of, you know, I really love the concept of being able to capture moments 
And they don't have to be big moments. They can just be personal, almost like a, a diary where you just want to note something of how you felt or what you saw that day or in that place. At 19, I bought my first digital camera. At that point, look, I had used film cameras my whole life. In fact, in high school, for the previous several years, I was a photo technician at a retail store as a job. And so I was no stranger to film processing and film camera and actual physical photography. But of course, I was also immersed in this computer world that I understood and that I knew relatively well. And I, I definitely understood the cost and time difference regarding taking pictures and having to have them developed before you could see them. The instant gratification of being able to take a picture on a digital camera and see it and modify it or delete it was very alluring and very convenient. And so I get my first digital camera and immediately I think back to what Dustin Hoffman did in Rain Man and I start taking pictures. I start taking pictures of anything and everything that I felt I wanted to recall at some point. Little moments in time, little memories, little frozen bits of experience that I could then load onto the computer and refer to at any point. And so essentially I started keeping a quote digital diary. I would make it a point to take a couple pictures at least every day just to note maybe where I was, what I was looking at, what I was thinking for no particular reason, for no end in mind whatsoever. At the new millennium, I was of course very, very deep into the internet and what they started calling social media world. I was on the staff of a Living Dead website, surprise, surprise, called Homepage of the Dead, where at that era I was really just immersed in being able to have all of these contacts and resources and friends that crossed the boundaries of time and location. Because I was involved in such a huge online community, I had contacts all over the world. It felt empowering and it was part of my social comfort zone that complemented my real life social groups, which didn't lack at all. It was, it was the other side of that coin. Plenty of friends in the flesh and still experiencing life without sitting in front of the screen. But the other part of that was somehow connected to a screen, whether it was watching movies or whether it was on the computer communicating with others or recording music or creating websites. These were all part of who I was and what I was doing. So it was at this new millennium that I started creating something like a personal website but that somehow brought together all of my interests and all of the things that I liked and did. So that's music, that's movies, that's websites, that's interaction with people. In my participation in this online community, there were a lot of features and components to social media at the time that I was, of course, very in tune with and very up to date with as far as what is being used out there, how are people communicating, what are the cool features, what are the cool toys. They weren't called apps at that point because apps are associated with mobile devices. It was just what websites are you using? What kind of software, what kind of scripts are you running on your website? At this point, America Online and CompuServe and Prodigy and all these online services had become a little bit even outdated because they were so limited in the kind of things that you could do and suddenly the internet proved this very limitless place where you could start to explore these different things. 
And what I mean was in these online communities, which in previous iterations were bulletin board systems, BBSs, you know, people could communicate. They could they could have conversations, they would have threads, share files, share pictures, message each other, and do all these things in terms of interaction and being able to share information with each other. And so the communities I was a part of were always trying to implement new things to try and share essentially ourselves. Naturally, a website became a portal to do that, to put your pictures and to put your work, whether that's music or writing. And the website became this kind of digital domain where you're able to express yourself with this project that I called Precious Nightmare. I was able to use it as a funnel for a lot of expression that I needed to get out, um, whether that was music or whether that was bad poetry or anything in the way of what I would spend my time creating as far as a hobby. It would go through this site and I would find different ways to present this material. But I also still love the social media component to it of staying in touch with my friends because while while I would be with friends and people in real life, I would also see them online in that virtual world. And so the connection could continue, the conversations. And so what was amazing about this time is that I was trying to learn as much as I could and really utilize the technology as much as possible to facilitate all of these relationships. So in terms of online and on my website, creating things like a forum for all my friends and for social interaction and for the sharing of articles and pictures and having of discussion and debates, all of these things, that was something I knew I had to have. So I worked very hard in trying different platforms and services and customizing the code and the scripting and really making it my own, quote, AOL, in a sense, to be able to have people log in, have avatars and set up their profiles and do all these things and send messages. It's like setting up your home to have a party or have social gatherings and have people come in and just be able to interact and to be able to have a good time. All this within a website sounds kind of geeky, but really when you're thinking about what these things really are and their components, it does make a little bit of sense, especially in terms of social media today. So I did that for a couple years from about 2001 to 2004. And mind you, at this point, there is no Facebook. There is no YouTube, okay? And yet here I am with a website where I regularly share my pictures of my quote digital diary, pictures that I take on a daily basis. And I'm interacting with my friends who each have their profiles. We interact in instant messages and in discussions and we share all the funny things that are shared today via other social media. We do it all in the comfort of this digital space that I managed. Speaking of space, Suddenly, at this point of around 2004-2005, the world starts to catch up with what a lot of us have been doing for the past 10 years or so, what other people have been doing for even longer than that. Because of the rise of the internet and the popularity of things like America Online, more and more people were logging on for the first time in this period than probably ever. It was at that point that because I'd been doing it since I was a early teenager. It wasn't that new to me anymore. And I was trying to pursue higher levels of this social entertainment. And so things like MySpace and then even Facebook in 2005 come out and almost try to facilitate that popularity. 
in the way that I was trying to do independently for the past half decade. So when I saw MySpace, which was even before Facebook, I was like, eh, this is getting kind of played out now. Because all these things that I was doing independently and trying to incorporate this piece of code or this JavaScript and piece these things together and working with the various platforms of bulletin board systems to try and achieve this quote, social network, as soon as an official one came out, almost similar to my ranting on anti-mainstream, I shunned it immediately because I said, I've been there. I've done that. I'm doing that. I don't need this. That's great that it's coming out. But now, of course, there's that commercialization aspect where someone is inevitably going to make money off of it. And we have to play by someone else's rules, whereas I can make my own rules on my own, quote, social network. And so I didn't jump on MySpace. In fact, I only used MySpace uh, within the next following years because I used it ostensibly to manage my band's MySpace. But in the curiosity that was quenched in using it, I still shunned it compared to the social network and social media experiences I've had before that, which I felt were a little bit more organic and a little bit more independent, which somehow made them better. I don't know why. But personally, to me, that's how I made the distinction between the two. I don't think it's any coincidence that it was in this era, from about 2005 to 2009, that I began to grow tired of social media. Because suddenly I saw it for what it was, and I started seeing the detriment that it could pose. I mean, I was always plugged in. I always wanted to maintain a connection to that online virtual world. So I looked forward to it because it wasn't on my phone. It wasn't something that I could access every second. It was, oh, when I get home, I'll check this out. Or late at night, I'll, I'll spend some time doing this because it was intertwined with my social relationships, my work, my hobbies, everything could somehow be accessed or funneled or manifested through this screen. I also saw how too much of that ends up really wearing you out on this personal level, even an almost spiritual level, to go, you're just staring at a screen. All these interactions are not exactly real because they're all through the screen. It loses something. There's a reason that I think I majored in communications with an emphasis on media studies, which is really to pick apart this notion of how we are using technology to further ourselves and our species, but then also how it ends up becoming a vice, an unhealthy habit, in fact. I started catching myself, and it was at that point when I cut the cords at my house. Not literally, but I got rid of cable, and I kind of, that's where I started distancing myself from this digital takeover because I started realizing there's way too much right now and it's only going to get worse. And to see everything get so inflated and oversaturated really takes some of the enjoyment and value out of it. So social media was one of the things that I had a love-hate relationship with. I had conceded and joined Facebook in 2009 which was well after all of my friends. But at that point, I was still riding high on the kind of social media wave that had not yet completed its full takeover of society. It was still largely through the internet, through a screen that sat somewhere on a desk, not so much one that you brought with you all the time. And so it was around 2012, after moving out west and really kind of perhaps maturing a little bit, having entered into my 30s, I really had been there, done that all of it, but I was still doing it. I was on every social media platform. 
And I was trying to maintain all of those connections because I felt I had a duty. I felt I had to keep up with all of it. And while of course I knew where to draw the line, I still had the underlying sense that I didn't want to do that all the time. And I don't want to do that all the time. And so I experienced kind of a overdose slash retirement at this phase, which transitioned right into when I became a teacher in 2013. Here I am approaching my mid thirties and it's almost double the lifetime from the point when I started using the internet and computers and social media. And I see this entirely new generation of people at a point that I was at, this point of wonder and complete curiosity and complete openness for this digital world. But it's completely different. It is absolutely diametrically opposite of what I experienced. Because now these are true millennials. My students didn't know a world without the internet. They didn't know a world without digital devices, without mobile devices, without screens everywhere. And to see that they had become the product of what I witnessed at their age as just an exciting and new thing, but to have it now be almost a curse was truly disheartening. And I'm not just talking about having to tell all my students to put their phones away. I was sad to see how ingrained and how lost this new generation was in this digital world. Because at their age, it empowered me, it excited me, it motivated me. And I really don't think for them that it does much of that. It's a necessary component. If you're not on Snapchat and Instagram and all of the cool apps, you exist. It was funny to watch how that played out socially in my classrooms and to see that at the high school age, this is all the norm, but it's also a very specific benchmark for the social order. It's still puzzling to see everyone take out their phones at a given moment and suddenly they are Snapchatting everything that they're doing so that later on everyone can refer to that. There was a part of that that I didn't get. Well, in the moment, I understand that that's exciting, but I never got on Snapchat. Why? When I found out that your snaps disappeared after 24 hours, I thought, why would you not want to make something that has a little bit more of a lasting impression? I remember I got on Instagram right when it came out. And of course it is what it is now, but I saw it as another way to do what I had been doing, to capture these memories, to capture these moments, and to put them somewhere where I could always go back to them like a diary, a digital diary. And while my websites are long gone and the days of coding and scripting are well in my past, I'm still using those tools today to try and accomplish the same thing, to express myself creatively and otherwise. The disposable nature of social media today is something that I didn't expect and that I'm not exactly attracted to because it lends to the fact that there's so much digital pollution out there now and there's so much to wade through just to get to something good or something worthwhile that I ask myself, is it all worth it? Now, I'm no hypocrite here. I'm not trying to say that it should be shunned, although I have a significant amount of respect as well as curiosity for those who purposefully decide not to engage in social media because there's that narcissistic component that we all have that we all want the attention and of course that's gotten to a very grotesque level of what that's done to the esteem of young people today there's also that functional component of being able to still communicate and reach out and reach people 
I'm only on Facebook because my family is thousands of miles away. They don't get to see my family or my kids. But that is actually the functional reason I'm on it. I don't go in there and chat anymore. Not that I ever did. It's just a window to places and people that I don't see very often and that I may miss and that I may want to reach out to from time and again. But apart from the people who decide, oh, I got to get off social media because it's, uh, it's, I'm spending an unhealthy amount of time on it, there are the people that, to begin with, just said, I don't, I don't want any part of that. They somehow instinctively saw that there was an unhealthy component to it, and I, I can't deny that. So I'd like to think that my motivations and my experiences led me down that path despite knowing that obvious revelation that some people have come to. So did I invent Facebook? Not the Facebook, but I think I found the allure and the draw of what Facebook is and was. I think I found that early on and I really tried to pursue that. I'm not saying I was the only one. There were a lot of people who were doing similar things. And a lot of the online community were interested in the same things, which is why they became social networks. But that idea to me, that driving motivation, was a wave that had already taken me somewhere. And meanwhile, people are still standing at the edge, dipping their toes in the water. So no, I didn't invent Facebook, and I certainly didn't invent social media. I guess even though I still use social media, and of course the internet today, I use it with a cautionary spirit. Because I imagine the internet and social media as like a big party. All your friends are there, even your relatives, friends, former friends, ex-girlfriends, ex-boyfriends, they're all there. So imagine a party where everyone you've ever known or still know, all in one room. The social media experience was really supposed to replicate that. Early on, you, you participated in things called chat rooms. As in, you are in a physical space talking to people as you would at a party or a social gathering. So if you expand on that metaphor and you think, that's really what social media is, or that's what it should be, then just think about what everyone is doing with it now. Imagine that you're at a party where everyone is there, but at any given time, everyone is trying to get the same amount of attention from everyone else. Meaning, instead of just talking to one person next to them or a few people around them, they are screaming at the top of their lungs. Just imagine all of this happening in one place. That's really what social media has become. It's become this cesspool of seeking attention and for no good reason. At a social gathering, there really is no point for anyone to be having conversations except to be having a conversation and to be enjoying it. But is it really enjoyment now? To have everyone screaming for attention and no one hearing each other above all the noise? That's kind of what it's become to me. Imagine every social media post you see and imagine that person saying it to you in real life at a social gathering. Does it matter? Is it a conversation starter? Is it something that would intrigue you? Or is it something that is drawing attention to themselves or really trying to start a fight or trying to change your mind about something? Most of the social media interaction today doesn't seem to facilitate a very healthy or harmonious communication or prospering of relationships. This is generally speaking, of course. So am I quitting social media? No. If you're listening to me, I'm still here. But I will say that similar to cord cutting, I'm very, very selective of what I do, where I go, and what I participate in. And most of the time, I stand back and I observe with almost morbid curiosity at how all these things take place. It's almost like the image for this podcast, which is of a hand 
reaching up from the water. I almost think of my voice as that hand in attempt to break a surface of a deep, dark, and murky digital world that it's easy to drown in if you're not careful. It's difficult to rise up to the top when you've sunk down to the bottom. Too many things floating in there, water's not so clean, not like it used to be. But in any case, still in it, still swimming, still floating. So wherever you are in this big, watery mess, don't forget once in a while to look up at the surface and join me topside sometime. Maybe we could have a conversation.